This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 82 The Puckwudgie. Deep in the heart of Massachusetts lies the Bridgewater Triangle, a mysterious and foreboding region that has long been associated with strange and unexplained phenomena. For centuries, the area has been the site of countless sightings of bizarre creatures, UFOs, and other mysterious events. Among the most elusive and enigmatic of these creatures is the Pukwudgie, a mischievous and elusive creature that has captivated the imagination of locals and paranormal enthusiasts alike. This is the story of a group of paranormal investigators who ventured into the Bridgewater Triangle in search of the elusive Pukwudgie and the terrifying encounters they experienced along the way. Sarah stared out the window of the Bronco as the group made their way towards the Freetown State Forest in southeastern Massachusetts. More specifically, the Bridgewater Triangle. Her thoughts were heavily focused on their friend Andrew, whom had passed away a year previously, during their Popelik investigation. Andrew had always been fascinated by the Bridgewater Triangle and the infamous Pukwudgie that was said to live in the area. The Bridgewater Triangle is a region in southeastern Massachusetts that is said to be a hotspot for paranormal activity. The triangle is roughly defined by the towns of Abington, Freetown, and Rehoboth, and it encompasses an area of roughly 200 square miles. The region is known for its dense forests, swamps, and bogs, which are thought to contribute to the eerie atmosphere of the area. The Bridgewater Triangle has a long history of strange and unexplained occurrences including sightings of ghosts and other paranormal entities, strange creatures, and bizarre animal mutilations. The area is also known for its high number of UFO sightings and encounters, as well as reports of strange lights and other aerial phenomena. One of the most well-known legends associated with the Bridgewater Triangle is the story of the Hockamuck Swamp, a large marshy area that is said to be cursed and haunted by evil spirits. According to legend, the swamp is home to a number of strange and terrifying creatures, including the Dover Demon and a mysterious ape-like creature known as the Bridgewater Gorilla. 
Many reports of strange occurrences in the area include sightings of giant black dogs, ghosts, and poltergeists, as well as mysterious disappearances, random fires, and other unexplained events. Andrew's dream was to get to investigate the area, as many paranormal researchers and ghost hunters have done before, and explore the area in search of evidence of the strange phenomena that have been reported there. He believed that the area could be a window to other dimensions, or a vortex of some kind, which could explain the high level of paranormal activity that is said to occur there. The Bridgewater Triangle is considered one of the most active paranormal hotspots in the United States. It continues to draw the attention of paranormal investigators, researchers, and curiosity seekers from all over the world. It is also known as the home of the Pukwudgie. What's got you down over there? Joe asked in a light-hearted tone. Just wish Andrew was with us. He always wanted to come out here. I feel bad that we finally get to go and he isn't here to experience it with us, Sarah replied. I miss him too, but he would want us to be out here. You know he'd give us hell if we never made it out. So let's celebrate him and have one of the best investigations we've ever had. Long live Andrew! Price and Carter began chanting excitedly from the back seat. Long live Gone Ghost and Paranormal! The team then parked their vehicle and unloaded their gear and camping supplies. They had to make the rest of the trip on foot. The forest surrounded them, encasing them in shadows and foliage. It almost seemed to call to them, telling them to retreat and not go any further. Does anyone else feel that? Price asked. Yeah, it's like someone or something doesn't want us here, Carter replied. It's a forest. It's supposed to be dark and ominous. Keep it together, boys. Joe replied in a half-joking, half-snarky tone. The group then proceeded onward. So, Sarah, tell us what we are after again. Sarah laughed as she rolled her eyes and replied, Did you not pay attention when we were prepping for this weekend? Obviously, but we are here. Just, just humor me. <sighs> Pukwudgies are a creature from Wampanoag folklore, a Native American tribe that lived in parts of present-day Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. According to legend, Pukwudgies are small, gray-skinned beings that stand about two to three feet tall. They are known for their distinct features, including pointed ears and noses. Their skin is described as being a dull gray color, almost like the bark of a tree. They have long fingers with sharp claw-like nails, and they are known to have a distinctive smell, described as a mix of smoke and pine. Their eyes are said to be large and dark with a mischievous glint that can both be intriguing and unsettling. They also have a wide, almost toothy grin displaying sharp teeth. Their overall appearance is described as being slim and agile with a wiry and strong build. They are known to move quickly and silently through the forest, making them difficult to spot. They are also considered as shapeshifters, 
able to transform into animals or even inanimate objects such as trees or rocks. Puckwudgies are considered mischievous, often playing pranks on people, stealing food, and causing general trouble. They are also known to be quite elusive, making it difficult to be seen. Surprisingly, it is said that Puckwudgies have the power of healing. They can cure illnesses and are known to be helpful to those that they like. The Wampanoag people believed that Puckwudgies were a type of spirit, existing in a realm between the physical and spiritual world. They were seen as messengers between the living and the dead, and it was believed that they could be found deep in the woods, close to where the trees and the earth meets the sky. In addition to the belief in their mischief-making and healing powers, Pukwudgies were often invoked in Wampanoag rituals and ceremonies, particularly for hunting and for the protection of the community. They were also considered to be protectors of the natural world, especially the forest and animals that lived within it. With the arrival of the European settlers and the displacement of the Wampanoag people from their ancestral lands, the belief in Puckwudgies as well as many of the stories and traditions were lost over time, and it remains mostly folklore. Nowadays, the Puckwudgies are not widely known, but some people from the Wampanoag descent and some researchers still hold on to legends and stories. The group finally arrived at their campsite, just before dark. They unloaded their gear, set up their tents, and scavenged wood to set up a small fire. They then decided to roast some hot dogs over the fire, while having a few drinks and taking in the cool forest air. It was surprisingly warm for being late September. To add to the already eerie nature of the environment, the group took turns telling campfire stories. Sarah decided to tell another story in light of the Pukwudgie. Despite the legends and stories of the Pukwudgies being forgotten by most, there were some that still believed. In the mid-20th century, a young researcher named Samantha discovered the legends of the Pukwudgies while studying the history of the Wampanoag people. She became obsessed with learning more and more about the creatures, and she devoted her life to studying and preserving the stories. She spent years scouring through old texts and speaking with the descendants of the Wampanoag people, and she eventually compiled a comprehensive history of the Pukwudgies. Her research revealed that the creatures were much more than just legends. They were an important part of the Wampanoag people's beliefs and culture. As she delved deeper into her research, she became convinced that the Pukwudgies were still out there, hiding in the woods and watching over the land. She assembled a team of like-minded individuals to investigate and uncover the truth about the creatures. The team consisted of psychic Sarah, team leader John, tech expert Jake, historian Samantha, and skeptic Ryan. They then set out to the dense forest area to discover the truth behind the Pukwudgies. 
they soon discovered that the Pukwudgies were indeed real, and they had to come face to face with the creature that they had only read about in old texts and stories. The team members experienced strange and terrifying occurrences, and they all felt like they were being followed. They were finally able to come face to face with the Pukwudgies, and it was both terrifying and enlightening. They finally understood the true nature and importance of these mysterious creatures, as well as the part that they play in the balance of nature. The story of the Pukwudgies may have been forgotten by many, but for Samantha and her team, it will live on as a cautionary tale of the importance of listening to the stories of the past and preserving the ancient beliefs and traditions. After sharing campfire tales, the group decided to retire for the night. The next morning, they set out in two different groups, Sarah and Joe and Carter and Price, using a variety of tools to help them in their search. They used EMF meters to detect changes in electromagnetic fields, which could indicate the presence of spirits or other paranormal activity. They also set up night vision cameras and audio recorders to capture any evidence of the Pukwudgie. Additionally, they also used a Geiger counter to detect any unusual radiation and a dousing rod to help detect any energy or presence in the area. Sarah and Joe's first encounter happened while they were exploring a dense thicket of trees. They heard strange whispering and growling sounds that they couldn't explain. As they pressed deeper into the thicket, they felt like they were being followed. Suddenly, they heard a rustling behind them, and when they turned around, they saw a shadowy figure darting through the trees. They chased after it, but it was too fast, and disappeared into the underbrush. Price and Carter had a close encounter with the Pukwudgie while they were investigating an old abandoned cabin in the woods. As they entered the cabin, they smelled a strange, strong odor of wood smoke and pine, which they believed to be the Pukwudgie's distinctive smell. Suddenly, they heard movement inside the cabin, and when they turned on their flashlight, they saw a small, gray-skinned figure darting through the shadows. They proceeded to chase after it, but it was too fast, and disappeared into the darkness. As the day progressed, so did the encounters experienced by the group. Sarah and Joe encountered the Pukwudgie again while they were investigating an old graveyard in the woods. They heard strange noises coming from the graves and saw strange lights moving in the distance. Suddenly, they heard a loud, high-pitched scream, and when they turned around, they saw a small figure standing on top of a nearby grave. It was staring directly at them. They froze for a moment before running away. The group finally reconvened after the series of encounters, and as darkness was quickly setting in. As the Gone Ghost and Paranormal team settled in for the night at their campsite, 
They were on edge after the encounters that they had with the Pukwudgie earlier that day. They sat around the campfire trying to keep things light, sharing stories, and trying to make sense of what they had experienced. But as the night went on, the atmosphere became increasingly eerie. The mist that had settled around their camp seemed to thicken, and the scent of decaying leaves and moss filled the air. The trees towered over them, casting long shadows on the ground, and the sound of rustling leaves and distant animal calls added to the eerie ambiance. As they were sitting around the campfire, they heard the familiar strange whispering and growling sounds coming from the darkness. They immediately froze and looked around, trying to pinpoint the source of the noise. Suddenly, they saw a small figure darting through the shadows, and they realized that it was the Pukwudgie. It seemed to be getting closer and closer to their camp, and the team became terrified, dreading what was to come. As the Pukwudgie got closer, the team realized it was staring directly at them. It let out a loud, high-pitched scream, and the team felt a wave of fear wash over them. They then noticed the shadows of multiple Pukwudgies darting through the darkness, surrounding them. At that moment, they realized that they were surrounded by the creatures, and they became overwhelmed by a sense of unease and fear that nearly rendered them catatonic. The team knew that they had to get out of there as quickly as possible. They immediately packed up their gear and headed back to the safety of their trusty Bronco. They then drove back home in silence, still feeling the lingering fear from the encounter. As the team left the Bridgewater Triangle, they were left with a lingering sense of unease and fear, haunted by the memory of the Pukwudgie and the encounters that they had experienced. They knew that they would never forget the terrifying events of that weekend and the lasting effect it had had on them. Despite the fear and uncertainty that they felt, they were also left with a sense of fascination and intrigue and the knowledge that there are still many mysteries yet to be uncovered in the Bridgewater Triangle. The Pukwudgie, the Wampanoag folklore, and the Bridgewater Triangle all remained shrouded in mystery. And the team knew that they had only scratched the surface of what lie hidden in the depths of this mysterious and foreboding region. Welcome campers to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We are your hosts, I am Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now the debrief. Welcome back. All right. Puckwudgies. Puck Puckwudgies. Puck Puck Puckwudgie. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. It's a bit of a mouthful. Porkwudgies. Yeah, exactly. Dude, I I love I love these things. Yeah. They're um they remind me of they I get the same feeling from them as I do like the um Alba Twitch, the like little miniature Bigfoot around the same area in yeah. the, in um not necessarily the Bridgewater Triangle but they're in somewhere in New England I forget exactly where but yeah 
like how they travel in packs, which is immediately scary, right? Like you run into one tiny thing, it's whatever. But if you run into fifteen of them, I mean, yeah, of course, yeah. They're like um, they just remind me of little lawn gnomes. Yeah, little yeah. little lawn gnomes all covered in quills. Exactly, big square big scary porcupine quills which we didn't it wasn't mentioned in the story um and we will talk about that just as we just now have yes they have quills (laughs) they're like walking hedgehogs slash porcupines yeah they look pretty badass (laughs) they do they look look, so cool they look like little like something you'd come across in like dungeons and dragons right Yeah. yeah i actually came across a uh a character like a monster sheet for a Pugwudgie oh, yeah. for D&D, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's per, That's a perfect, like, um, like level one encounter you could have yeah. with, like, three or four Pugwudgies. Just like, um, just like running into, like, goblins or, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's, they're a pretty awesome little creature. It's, it's cool because they have so much, there's so much lore behind yeah. them. Yeah, the lore, I mean, and, in the story, I, I literally only brushed on the kind of the start start of their their origin, which also lines up with uh, the giant uh, mashop mashop mashop, however you want to pronounce it, and uh, yeah. and Wampanoag lore and everything. But the Pukwudgie were used to be able to co you know co reside and live yeah. live well with with humans and were said to be good um and eventually become little bad guys yeah little um, villain yeah yeah which i mean there there is a whole whole backstory uh to that um which we can we can definitely get to here uh here yeah momentarily but uh yeah just i mean just the description of these guys is awesome like i love the uh and if if you look it up in most pictures They'll have like a little like bow and a quill of arrows, you know, yep. just uh, perched over their shoulder and just look awesome. I just it. like that lines up with the fact that they were seen as like another race of people. Yeah. Right. Like they lived alongside the Wampanoag tribe and like mm-hmm. they 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 were seen as another same way you get with like lots of uh, Sasquatch lore. Yeah. It's like they were seen as another group of people that occupied the land and that's so you see them using you know a bow and arrows and stuff things that were associated with you know that's what the wampanoag were using so of course their version of another civilization would have similar tech right yeah i mean that makes sense for sure they uh they do have you know the ability to use magic and stuff like that Yep. Um, they have the ability to create fire anywhere and whenever they want to, which is pretty awesome. That's fucking handy. That'd be a nice ability to have, yeah. Um, they have the ability of mind control. Also said to be able to be, be able to wipe people's minds, which is okay. kind of neat. They can appear and disappear at will, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know? is, I mean... I think the most important special ability they have is the ability to smell amazing. Right. So it, it, there's some some describe as a floral scent, and yeah. some describe it as like a woodsy, like kind of smoky pine scent. 
which sounds which, awesome. You know, it could go one and the same. I mean, yeah, it does sound does sound great. As like, far as like as far as like creatures that generally get shoved into the cryptozoology category, they're probably the best smelling. I mean, any creature that lives in the forest that's probably rained on their you know their fur and stuff probably molds or well you know whatever else like sure. most animals to have a nice woodsy pine smoky scent that's magical that sounds great yeah i would tell yeah. you right it's I, this that is not smell the way they, sounds great it does this is not the way they describe the way like a bigfoot smells <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah most Maybe of these just smell like ass yeah I mean, maybe this is literal magic, right? Because they they can disappear and appear at will. True. They can shapeshift into other shit, right? Into, like, trees even and bushes. So if they're shapeshifting back into their normal form, why wouldn't they shapeshift into a version of themselves that just had a bath? Yeah, agreed, you know. Right? Yep. Yeah. And which, you know, a lot of people people believe that they have the ability of shifting between like between realms and things like that so yeah i i yeah. you know i'm sure they can shift out give it get a quick bath come back yeah no problem at all i mean the the lore around these things runs super deep like yeah you mentioned they're like they were seen as psychopomps like people who are entities that that kind of guide the transition or the connection between the living world and the world of the dead. Um, yeah, which I really which like. Is huge. Yeah, I like that concept a lot. Um but once once like the the Mashop Mashop whatever, we'll just call it Mashop. Mashop um, works. Yeah. Like once that's introduced into the story and that being basically the Wampanoag believe that the Mashop was responsible for the creation of their area right like yeah. of, of everything uh responsible for creating most of the land and the landmarks that were known by the tribe um but once the mashop was introduced into the story that's when things take a turn um so we'll kind of they briefly, didn't get along right well the what happened is the uh so the mashop was obviously very very you know highly regarded yeah exactly by the by the wampanoag or whatever um and his wife which he had a wife named squanet most often referred to as granny squanet um they were loved they were loved by the tribe and the puckwaji just became jealous because they were no longer needed Uh, Ah. they were often seen to be as a nuisance and just more annoying than anything so you know as they're uh basically they would try and help out they were trying you know, try and help the tribe, but everybody basically kind of shoo them away. Like, no, no, like, you know, Mashop and his old lady gives us everything we need, basically. And then so they decide to, all right, well, we're just going to, you know, start annoying you purposely and start playing tricks on them and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and it became so bad that that, that like, whole plan backfired. And they, uh, the Wampanoag people invoked the help of uh, Mashop again to basically grab up all of these little puckwudgies so he like grabbed and scooped them all up shook them senseless and then threw them throughout the whole New England area yeah and in the process ended up killing a bunch of them so at that point they exacted revenge 
He basically banished them. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And they became pissed at that whole after that happened. This is such a classic origin story of a trickster god. Yeah, for like, sure. If you think about like I don't know, the most well known trickster god is definitely North Norse mythology with Loki, right? Like his whole origin story is that like Thor and Odin are beloved and they're regarded highly by all the people and he's jealous. Right. It's jealousy. And yeah. that's how he becomes a trickster. He just starts like, well, if no one's going to pay attention to me anyway for good things, then they can pay attention for bad things because exactly. I'm just going to fuck with them forever. Yeah, and that was that was basically their mindset as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, Mashap called in to take care of the problem. And uh, you know, and so then at that point the Pukwudgie then returned and you know, sought out revenge by setting fire to the homes of the, the the people in the village, kidnapping their children and luring many of the adults to their deaths. And so once again, Mashop was invoked, called to take care of the problem, and he sent his five sons to do his dirty work, basically. And yeah, the Mashop pu- and Granny have been busy. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and then the Pukwudgie killed each and every one of the sons by shooting them with magic arrows. And in an, ara- in an outrage, Mashop and Squanet took to the forest to crush and dispose of the Pukwudgie once and for all. Despite their efforts, many of the Pukwudgie survived by hiding deep within the forest, outliving Mashop and Squanet. And then they've stayed till yeah. today. That's yeah, Allegedly. That, that's a classic origin story. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I I like that a lot. Yeah, but it, it makes sense and it makes sense why they became yeah. who they are. And then it also, you know, and a lot of people believe that they still are helpful and they can cure illnesses of people that they actually like. Yeah. But, you know, to most they're just out there to mess with people, right? Yeah. I mean they they seem like um they I mean they're definitely tricksters, right? But they also sort of have a lot of the qualities of like a nature spirit. Right? Cuz especially before before the transition into having this like above all creator god, they were seen as like protectors of, of right. nature. Yeah. They're yeah. So, I definitely I could see some more like spiritually minded people going out in the Bridgewater Triangle like you know this is the sort of thing you leave offerings for and like basically respect them try to get on their good side and yeah yeah I could see it being a positive entity for someone like that agreed agreed and so yeah and that's where you know now and in, in modern day you hear uh there, there there's also signs and things like that up in this area that uh basically tell you not to not to mess with the puck because you know it can lead to bad things <laughs> yeah um like all tricksters right, right? Yeah. you gotta yeah. be careful yeah but yeah so kind of getting back to back to their uh their features now that we've kind of talked you know origin story just so we can kind of let people know why why they are the way they are now but you know kind of talking again roughly two to three feet tall um, and then their sharp features, like their pointed ears, their noses, their sharp teeth. Um, sure. And then the fact that they can also shapeshift, which is really cool. Yeah. They can shapeshift into other animals uh, to kind of trick people into, you know, whatever else. So they can try and lure them in. They can also shapeshift into inanimate objects. Like trees and rocks and 
Yep. That's the shit right there. Right, which is which is kind of crazy. Ultimate camouflage. Exactly. Yeah. That's like those people that are out looking for Bigfoot and they like hear a frog ribbit and they're like, you hear that? That was a Bigfoot. <laughs> and you're like, whoa. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, they ascribe those same, a lot of those same abilities to the Sasquatch. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, like yeah, for sure. The mm-hmm. yeah, the ability to slip in in and out of you know realities exactly yeah yeah, um, but I like the main the main look of the puckwudgie. It's like a little think of it as like a pale gray porcupine goblin. Yeah, that's basically what they look like. Yeah, I mean definitely humanoid but tiny. Right. Yeah, and the porcupine quills. That's that's just cool. That, like a, I mean, it's an it's like an awesome defense, you know, like yeah. defense mechanism or something, you know, that they can use to uh, defend themselves in you know bad situations. But all already they're badass. Yeah, it also gives them the look of like one of Shredder's experiments in Ninja Turtles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a I half mean, porcupine, half person. Yeah, yeah, that's right there with Bebop and Rocksteady. I dig it though. I think I think they're awesome, and I think uh, yeah. They're probably one of the cooler, cooler ones of like you know these kind of weird folklore cryptid, cryptid based uh, things, right? Yeah, definitely one of the coolest looking for sure. Yeah, and they have a great backstory. Yeah, this, this also, their area is a certified fucking hotspot. Oh, it is. Yeah, massive. Like Bridgewater massive Triangle hotspot. is crazy. This is a crazy spot. Yeah, like any fourteen phenomenon you can imagine has been. Mm-hmm. witnessed in this triangle yeah i mean it's just like uh what's the what's the one forest area that uh jersey devil was sometimes often said to be oh, the pine barrens yeah yeah it's like that but like amplified yeah i mean this is like this is legitimately some skinwalker ranch type oh yeah area it out. where everything is going on here i often make fun of people like it's the such and such triangle it's this triangle. Like, they always want to make triangles everywhere. There's so many different triangles, whatever. Yeah. Um, that it's, it's hard to kind of keep track. And everyone is known for their whatever that they have in that area. And most often, it's like, they're all one and the same. So we did the episode on, like, the Bennington Triangle. Yeah. Um, but this one is definitely, I think... It's legit. Yeah. I think yeah. so, for I sure. First, I first came across the Bridgewater Triangle when I was doing some research into the missing 411 stuff because there are tons of fucking bizarre disappearances oh, I'm sure. that have happened here with all the like with all the stuff that goes on all the UFO activity too uh encounters and everything within that area not to mention all these monsters and cryptids yep. and just weird Giant snakes energy. and thunderbirds and yeah yep. yeah everything dude there are so many stories from from now I keep wanting to say Bennington but yeah, right, there's so, yeah. there so many stories from the Bridgewater Triangle where like two people are hiking together and someone gets like 50 feet ahead they go o- over they like crest a hill yep. and by the time the second person gets to the hillside they're just fucking gone just gone forever Yeah, I'm, no sign of them I'm not it's, at all surprised by that yeah 
And Bennington had a lot of that too. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, the dude that disappeared some... on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. The guy, the the one guy that went into the forest and next thing he knows, it's like seven days later and he's yeah, at a completely exactly. other area. Yeah. Yep. Um, Tons yeah. of missing time and yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. Super crazy. Yeah. Like, it's weird shit. It makes me really want to go to a place like this, but at the same time, really not. <laughs> like, I yeah. just don't, you know, like, it seems cool. It seems cool enough, but you never know what's going to happen. And is I mean, that a risk I want to take? My, I mean, my wife and I have, you know, we're always like looking at cool places to move after the kids are grown. And like, we pretty much at this point, have it narrowed down to if not the west coast it'll be either moving to point pleasant or somewhere in the bridgewater triangle yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i just want to like go walk out in the woods i mean anywhere there. in like the new england states would be awesome i think for sure for sure yeah absolutely and there's so much cool shit that like you know around that area already and it's all tightly packed so yeah. like you can visit like you can visit like a dozen places that we've read and researched about in a, yeah. in a weekend. As opposed to out here in the Midwest where you have to drive like six hours to get anywhere meaningful. I know, man. Yeah. It's crazy. In New England, if you drive six hours, you went through three states. <laughs> that it's might wild. be slightly exaggerated, but you're probably pretty close. I mean, unless you're over in like Pennsylvania, New York area, but like I mean, coastal yeah, New England, course. you're yeah. definitely you're going through three states in six hours, for sure. That's fair. It'd be but awesome. Yeah, I and just like it would. Those areas are so pretty too. Also, how easy would it be to have like a like an ongoing like vlog or something if you lived in the fucking Bennington Triangle? Oh, yeah. and you could just go out like every day, go out and record yourself taking hikes and like this is where this happened, this is where that happened. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah. And see, now you're making it that sound much more appealing. Yeah. And it's gorgeous out there, dude. I mean, yeah, of course. That's yeah. That's one of the biggest things. Like, I really want to live in an area where there's a lot more color to our trees yeah. and it's like a yellow in the fall. Yeah. You know, like, I, I look at, like, some of these, like, Maine and Vermont and Massachusetts and stuff like that, and they have, like, all this just, like, beautiful, beautiful area and... Of course, like surrounding, you know, like mountainous areas and stuff like that. But just like, yeah, the leaves are like bright red and pink and oh yeah, just actually cool, you know, versus yeah. just this crap that we legit, have out here. Legit foliage, right? Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we could you could drive down south to Brown County and you get a lot of that. Yeah. Once you get into fair. the hills in southern Indiana, you get pretty good color. But up here where we're at where you could stand on a tuna can and see like the entire state right there's nothing and it's like yeah the, you you have like uh, once fall hits we have the leaves will go like a nice shade of yellow and then it's just That's shit it. brown and then yeah. dead yellow brown dead for winter exactly yeah and that sucks, yeah, it sucks. and then it you have to does. like yeah and then you have to rake all those fucking leaves and the weather changes so fast in Indiana that if you're not right on it, then your lawn sits under a fucking pile of dead leaves with snow on top of it for five months. If you're not a month early, you're two months late. 
the Indiana State motto. (laughs) (laughs) That can literally be said about everything. (laughs) Speaking of Indiana. Yeah. The Puckwudgie are also said to to heavily frequent Mountain State Park and Anderson. Really? Yep. They're this far west, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't didn't uh, know that. I go to mountains all the time. That's apparently a uh, yeah a pretty popular pretty popular area for him. Well, shit. Apparently, we need to go do a puckwudgie hunt. Apparently, there's uh, there's actually a couple like local uh, paranormal groups and stuff that have went out in search of the puckwudgie in mounds. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, I had no you can idea. Check them out on YouTube, I go, but I go there like six or seven times a year. Well, now when you go, you're gonna look for the puckwudgie. Yeah, every damn time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um i have an encounter that will uh i, I just i was yeah, saying dude. random fact you know indiana there's our claim to fame we also have Nailed the puck wedgie um, i have no idea that's yeah, cool it, it, it's pretty awesome people are always asking me like what cryptids do you have in indiana and i'm like well we have some river mermaids that were seen <laughs> in the 30s right we have oscar the beast of busco we have the oil pit squids. We have the, uh, what's that one? The giant serpent that lives under a graveyard. I forget what, I it, what they actually that call it. That one's badass. That one. That's like the coolest legend. Yeah. It lives under, yeah, it burrows underground in a graveyard and it eats corpses. I'm going to, I'm going to have to apparently educate myself. Yeah. It's like the, <laughs> what's it called? I forget exactly what it's called. That's pretty gnarly um, though. I'll stick it in the show notes, though. Um, and um, now I can say we also have puckwudgies yeah. here. Yeah, I was uh, I was gonna I was looking at a couple encounters from uh, from Mount State Park, and uh, I just I, there weren't there weren't any that I really kind of stood out to me. They were like, yeah, we saw this little this little gray gray creature thing. Yeah, nice. nothing substantial. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now the encounter that we're going to talk about next is pretty damn gnarly. Awesome. Um, I'm into it. Yeah. So this this one is pretty pretty awesome. It was actually is this in, a Bridgewater puck. Yeah. So this was in the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. Um, a guy named Bill Russo. Um, and he lived in uh, for more than a decade. Lived a few hundred yards from the Hockamuck Swamp. Nice. So uh, basically, he says we usually stayed on the sidewalks during our stroll, but. Uh, so this to give a little backstory here because I kind of start at the middle of it. Uh, he takes yeah. his dog for a, a a nightly stroll, right? Um, and then here this particular day is when all this stuff happens. So it's he an said, excellent chance to see fucked up shit. Exactly. So he said we we usually stayed on the sidewalks during our stroll, but that night Sam, his dog, wanted to head for the woods. At a place called the High Tees, we picked uh, we picked our way through the darkness until we came to a cross street. The High Tees is a name given by the neighborhood to a swath of land about 50 feet wide that runs all the way from Boston to Providence. It plays host to a high-tension electrical transmission or transmission wires. 50-foot pines border the swatch Ooh. and thick brush pads the middle. All, uh, all manner of wildlife from foxes to bears use the green strip to avoid the dangers of the paved roads. As we would learn that night, other creatures almost unknown to the world also traverse the high tees. Raynham in the 1980s and 1990s was a quiet little town of hardworking people 
During our walks, we almost never saw lights and windows. Virtually the entire community was asleep long before we took our first step. Johnny Carson's Nielsen ratings were zero. Not once in a half dozen years did we ever meet another person out for a walk. Very rarely would a car be on the roadways. Back then, the police department didn't even have a night shift. If there were any calls, the department of the nearby city of Taunton would answer the phone for Raynham. But usually, there were no calls. When we got to that cross street, we began walking along the sidewalk towards home. About 500 feet from my front door, Sam started pulling on her leash, whimpering and shaking. She refused to go further. What's wrong, Sam? Come on, baby. Let's go home and get some food. I heard what was troubling her before I saw it. Kier, kier, Iwan Chu. Kier, 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 Iwan Chu. Chu, Iwan Chu. A high-pitched voice floated through the darkness, sounding like a pleading child. Kier, kier, kier. Its pitch intensifying like the siren of a speeding fire truck. A moment later, I noticed something moving in the shadows, walking slowly into the center of the circle of light cast by the street lamp. It stopped and lifted a hairy hand or paw, palm inward. Its scooped hand began moving. It was beckoning me to come forward. Sam tried to pull me away. Now she was rattling so badly I was afraid she would break her leg joints. Her head down, near tears, she would not look at the strange beast that was summoning me. Are you okay? Do you need help? Do you know where your house is? No response, I just kept whining those strange sounds. Kind of like words, but words I did not understand. I looked closer. It was no kid. About three or four feet tall, which is a bit taller than we normally, you know, credit That's this. That's a tall puck wedgie. Right. It was covered in fur and had kind of a chipmunky face. A fairly expansive potbelly gave it a look of old age. I was 20 feet away from it, not quite at the edge of the circle of light on the pavement. I took another step closer. Sam's comfort continued to mount as the creature's wail also grew louder. When I was certain the thing was not human, I also became certain I did not want to get any nearer to that than I was. When I saw how frightened Samantha was, I became as scared as she. We backed away from it and made a huge circle around it as we headed for home as fast as we could. And so, he goes on later, after he kind of thought about this for a little while, uh-huh. and says that he, like, after, like, thinking about this, like, Kier, 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 Iwan Chu, yeah. uh, he said that he's pretty sure it was saying, come here, we want you. Yeah. And so, That's what I thought immediately. Right, yeah, which is which is yeah, kind of terrifying and awesome at the same time. Dude, that's like the number one moment to freak out to me is like when your dog starts freaking out. Right. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. We've we've talked about that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like that's that's a great sign that you should not be fucking with whatever right. it is. And, and you know, I would I would trust. A dog's judge of character, for sure. You know, in a case, especially like that. absolutely. And where they weren't even quite in the light or anything and could kind of see this thing. And I mean, it's like motioning for them to come and like chirping basically at them. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. That's, yeah, it's definitely terrifying. There's, um, 
That's like a, a legit face to face encounter, yeah. though. That's awesome. Yeah, that's. I was gonna that's say cool like find. that. That was the most notable one I found. So that's that's the the one I decided to keep in here. Um, because yeah, I mean every every other encounter that I that I've kind of came across is just like yeah, we saw this thing. This is kind of what it looked like, but we couldn't really see it very well. Yeah. Or like those Class B encounters where they just hear weird shit in the woods. Right, and they're exactly. like, well, this is a place where puckwudgies are supposed to be, so it was probably that. Yeah. So that must be what it is. Exactly, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Of course. One thing we haven't talked about yet is that this episode is the return of the Gone Ghost and Paranormal group. That it is. Originally the <laughs> cur- Cryptic Corner Paranormal, I think is what it was. Yeah, Cryptic Corner. Yeah, yeah. Cryptid Corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, I I was excited to to have him back. I This is one of my favorite things that you do is this See, like ongoing ongoing thing. That's that's what I want to I want to do it, but I don't want to do I don't want to do it like very like I don't want to do it all the time, you know, kind of few and far between. Yeah, make it special yeah. when they show up. But again. uh yeah, special yeah. these kind of weird one-off situations where I can go like fully fictional with it and just have fun with the story and stuff. Um you know, which is which is cool. Yeah, I loved. I particularly loved their two two things. I love the sighting that they had in the story of yeah. it perched on the gravestone. That's badass. Yeah, that's that's definitely the coolest one. I think would that my my yeah. also other favorite is when like they're all at the campsite. You know, like that uh, kind of later later after all this has happened, they get the group and they hear it, and then they start getting surrounded. They can see them like running all around them and everything yeah that'd be pretty crazy too yeah but another another moment that stuck out to me as scarier than you sold it i think is the moment where they hear growling and whispering simultaneously which is when you really think about it scary as fuck (laughs) i mean yeah is it like a growled whisper a whispered growl i you know i don't know Either way, it's a thing animals don't do. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, you hear a growl in the woods, you can write that off as something normal. Or it's an animal that's it's, like really needs to growl, but they're trying to be really quiet about it. Is it like a really angry parrot? Not trying not to wake <laughs> up, mom and dad. <laughs> no, but that stuck out to me as particularly scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair for sure. Also, this team, this team of folks, they seem to always like get into some shit and run away. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, well, so it started. It started, of course, with the Poplick, right? The Poplick monster, and that's yeah. where Andrew ends up getting up on the train tracks, like on top of the trestle. That's fair. He died, and like face yeah. to face with the Poplick monster and dies. And this is like a yeah. year after his death. They're honoring his death. By scene. going out in search of the puck wedgie, which was like, you know, yeah, it was one of his one favorites, of his something favorites. I always wanted to do. Yeah. So, see, but Andrew died valiantly. <laughs> he like faced it on the train. But trestle, to be fair, and he died in battle. They're they're there to in support of him and in honor of him. So I'm sure they don't want to die either. Yeah. So I mean, I I would have ran, you know, like right, of course. Hey, yeah. I'm trying. I'm out here in support of my boy, but like, nah. I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not gonna let myself fall victim to this. Yeah. Here's my question, though. Did they gather any evidence? 
Because they had all that, like, gear and stuff out there. All the, like... They had to leave. They had set up cameras, and so they just left their they, shit. They, like, quickly and... grabbed what was there, and... Yeah, because they left out their cameras and stuff, because they had, like, night vision cameras and all that stuff set up. So, yeah. All that was... Like, they're gonna have to. They gotta go exactly. get them. They're gonna have to go back in the daylight and retrieve yeah. the equipment. Huh. Yeah. Instead, they went all the way home. Return to <laughs> Bridgewater Triangle and the Pukwudgie. Dude. And the group returned, picked up their cameras, and there was no evidence. They had been erased. Or there was evidence of other shit. Time to talk about other stuff in the triangle. There we go. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Workshop in the story right yep. here. Live. <laughs> Shoot, we don't even have to do an episode. We've already got it. Right? Two episodes in one. You're no, welcome. But- I, re- I really enjoy those those episodes. They're super fun. I do too. Um, I, I hope it's a thing that you keep doing every once in a while. I mean, I'd kind of forgotten about it after the Velik- the Velisca Axe murder house. Yeah. And then I like I was like, oh yeah, I want to do something, you know, something with like more of an investigation. And so yeah, it just fit perfect. Perfectly. Do you remember do you remember where that was and like how long had it been since the Pope? So Lick? see that when they did Velisca. That was what I was trying to uh, trying to double check here. Um, uh-huh. I can actually. So that episode came out August 2021. So we're a little over okay. a year, but for time's sake, we'll just call it. We'll call it a year. Yeah, a year since Popelik, or a year since when was Velisca uh, then? In so Velisca was like somewhere in the middle. Yeah, Velisca was definitely in the middle. Um, yeah. Because that the actual Velisca episode um, came out, it was uh, December of 2021. Okay, so yeah, yeah. so four or five months right. after he died on the train trestle. So I found it interesting that like, and that was their first one back, right yeah, after the, the tragedy one. or whatever. They were like, yeah, yeah they were like relaunching, yep. and their- that's why they changed from Cryptid Corner to Gone Ghostin. Which I still love the name of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, my point was, I find it ironic that their first investigation after a tragedy was one of the most tragic fucking stories of you all know, time. Yeah, I didn't actually think of it like that, but you're right. That's actually pretty yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah, I would have went puckwudgie first, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Much less tragic. Yeah, but you know, it was, uh, it worked. Yeah. I, had, I had a lot of fun with uh, Velisca yeah. too because I got to really deep dive into doing like a paranormal investigation yeah. and stuff, and that's something like I eventually want to do for like our YouTube channel. Absolutely, we're I'm, yeah, I'm hundred percent into that. Like we have some close by that we could knock out pretty quickly and yeah, easily. Of course, so we should do those for sure. Yeah, that's that's my goal. I've been building up my toolkit and everything, so we should be all set. Nice. But yeah, nice. I like this. You know, I tried to I tried to kind of present it like they're going out there kind of on the anniversary, little after whatever you want to say. Yeah. But, you know, like that's okay. It's in honor celebration, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I did. It was awesome. I I'm hoping that you'll start to do them a little more okay. frequently, honestly. Like I'd like to hear from them more. I mean, I'm I'm sure we can. Like build build on their mythos yeah. here. Yeah. I know one thing I do want is merch wise, like we were talking earlier, I really want a gone ghost and paranormal shirt. 
We're going to have one. It's going to be sweet. Yes, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm super into yeah. that. But yeah, I think uh, I think eventually I'd like to maybe do a return to Bridgewater. Because, I mean, there's definitely a lot more we can talk about. Oh, yeah, a ton, dude. Um, You know, obviously, we got a big year ahead of us. So, I think, uh, yeah, I think we have a, some some prime opportunities here. Yes. Any year where we're stepping outside of, you know, some of our normal, what our approach has been. Yeah. You know, ongoing. So, like, we can get into some real yeah, weird I'm shit. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it for sure. Yeah. Gear up for the high strangeness. You heard it. Exactly. It's coming at you. Prepare your ear holes. <laughs> Prepare them to be pleased. Oh. <laughs> Every time you say ear holes, I think of the Rick and Morty commercial with the eye holes. Oh, with yeah. The cereal. You know, yeah. That's fair. That's what I always think of. Yeah. One of the most visually disgusting moments in all of Rick and I Morty. I like ear holes. With the two people's eye holes <laughs> kissing. <laughs> <laughs> super weird thanks <laughs> you're welcome well i think uh that's probably gonna wrap up this episode uh this is episode 81 the puck wedgie thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of our weird possibly alien maybe ghostly probably cryptid hearts for listening we absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And trust in the unknown. unknown.